Well, what's up, Everlast? How are we tonight? Doing good? Good. I like the woo right there. That was great. Uh, well, my name is Tina, for those uh, who don't know me. Uh, I am the young adult coordinator here and am married to Kevin, who is our young adult pastor. And tonight, I get the opportunity and honor to share with you tonight's message. And so, uh, if you are new tonight, we are in a series called Promises. And again, the heart behind this series is that you would know the promises of God, um, that you would believe in those promises, and then be able to apply those promises in uh, and through your life. And so, if you have missed any of the teachings in the last couple of weeks... Uh, let me just encourage you, go check those teachings out on our podcast uh, as we have gone through several promises <laughs> thus far in the last couple of weeks. Uh, those promises have really ministered to my heart, and our prayer is that they would do the same for you. And so tonight, as we continue in this series, uh, we are going to be looking at the promises on the kingdom of heaven. Uh, what are the promises that Jesus gives us about the kingdom of heaven? And specifically, the promise of who will enter in. And so if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, uh, that is where we are going to be tonight. Um, and we will be reading a parable uh, as we dive into tonight's great promise uh, of the wedding feast. Uh, and so let's pray, and then we will uh, we'll dive right on in. Well, Father, we just uh, come before you now. And um, Lord, I am eager and excited for this message and uh, just for this word that you put on my heart. And uh, Lord, I just pray right now as we dive into your word that, uh, Lord, you would speak to us. God, I pray that um, you would remove any distractions in the room tonight. Um, Lord, I pray that... Um, yeah, that you, we would just really, really hear from you tonight. That I just pray for each individual sitting in the chair, right, these chairs right now, God, that you would uh, speak to them, Lord, through your word. And uh, Father, we, um, yeah, we are excited, and I know I am expectant for what you are going to do in and through this room tonight. And so, Father, we love you. Uh, we pray for your will to be done, and we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, Kevin mentioned this last week, uh, but Kevin and I have been married eight years last week. Yes, it was our anniversary. And, and so we started somewhat this tradition to where if we aren't going on a trip or we're not going on vacation, uh, that we will re-watch our wedding video because we had it filmed. And we watch it from the very beginning to me getting ready and hanging out with my bridesmaids uh, to the first look where Kevin got to see me in my dress before anybody else uh, to the ceremony to me walking down the aisle to the reception and to the great send-off. And one thing that I love uh, about re-watching our video is going back to that day and seeing everyone who was there. Uh, everyone who we personally invited, celebrating and partaking in this celebration with us. Uh, I love watching their reactions to the worship. Uh, I love watching their reactions when my dad gives his speech. 
Uh, I love their reactions when they introduce for the first time Mr. and Mrs. Kevin Jones as we come out to the reception actually dancing to This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. I know you know the song. Don't act like you don't know it. This is how we do it. There we go. Um, He loves Jesus now, too, which is awesome. And so uh, our wedding, though, was a blast and still to this day is personally my favorite wedding that I have ever attended. Now, obviously, uh, it's my favorite because I got married to Kevin Jones, who is pretty amazing. But another main reason I loved this wedding is because of who was there. Right, Our wedding was filled with our family, closest friends, and people that we got to do life with. If you were to sit down with Kevin and I, and uh, as as you watched the video with us, and we shared with you all the people who were at our wedding, uh, your response would be, duh, that, that totally makes sense why they were there. Uh, why those people got the invite, right? These are people you would have expected to be at our wedding. And if you have ever been to a wedding, raise your hand if you've been to a wedding in the room, majority of everyone. Uh, If you have been to a wedding, being invited to a wedding is a huge deal, right? It's an honor that the couple getting married would look at the number of people they have to invite and say, we want them there. We we have to have so-and-so there. Now, imagine if I told you that the people Kevin and I invited didn't come. All the family, friends, people you would have expected to be there, who who we wanted to be there, who received the invitation to our wedding were no-shows because they didn't want to come. Imagine that. Kevin and I sending out all the invites, just excited, and not getting back a single reply. That would be really sad, right? And I just want you to feel that and imagine that because although that is not what happened to Kevin and I, praise the Lord, people came, it is what's happening in this parable that Jesus is speaking on. So starting in verse 1, Matthew chapter 22, it says this. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were not, those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot 
and cast him into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now that is a parable. Um, So let's explain this a little bit. You have this king who is throwing a wedding feast for his son. And so he sends his servants to invite specific guests to the wedding feast. And what happens? They refuse to come. And so he tells his servants, hey, go tell them that the feast is ready. Everything is prepared for. In fact, uh, tell them I have prepared the dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. It is ready. And Everless, can I just say, this is some fine dining here, right? This isn't just some ordinary wedding reception where they only serve dessert. No shame to the ones who do. But this wedding is going to be a huge feast that is prepared to enjoy and indulge in. Anyone who is anyone should want to go and be a part of this wedding feast. Just just to try and, and give you somewhat of an idea of how big this wedding feast is, on May 19th of 2018, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle said their vows at St. George Chapel at Windsor Castle in the United Kingdom. This was called the royal wedding. His family was British royalty, and it was a huge deal to the point that they had over 37 million views on YouTube for those wanting to watch the ceremony. It was a big deal to be invited to this wedding. And can you just imagine the feast that was going to be prepared there? This is like the wedding of all weddings, and yet this wedding doesn't even compare, hold a candle to how amazing the wedding feast that Jesus is referring to here in this parable. And so this is a big, big deal. And so the king says, tell them the food is ready. They just need to come. And yet in verse 5, it says, read along with me, but they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Right? That is not the best way to respond to a wedding feast invitation, right? That would be like us getting an invitation in the mail, reading the invite, and then immediately throwing it in the trash, paying no regard to it, and going back to watching Netflix or going back to our daily chores or business for the day. The people who were originally invited had absolutely no interest in this wedding feast whatsoever. To the point that some of them, um, as we just read, killed the servants for inviting them. Right? That was, there was clear hatred in their heart to be invited to this wedding feast. Now, why? Well, why would you not want to attend this wedding feast? Well, why would you go as far as killing the messengers for inviting you? Well, in verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke to them in parables. Everlast, those few words are huge because Jesus is speaking to a certain group of people here. And those specific people are the ones he is actually referring to in the first part of this parable. If you were to go back to the preceding chapter, in verses 23 and verse 45, it says this. Verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, 
By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived he was speaking about them. You see, the group of people Jesus is speaking to about this parable is the Jewish leaders, uh, which is mentioned as the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the elders. Jesus is making the correlation here that the people who didn't want to attend the wedding are the very same people he is talking to. You see, the wedding feast that Jesus talks about is actually him talking about the kingdom of heaven. The king is represented as God the Father, who is throwing a wedding feast for his son, Jesus. It is a royal wedding feast, an invitation to the kingdom of heaven. The, the original people that were invited to the kingdom was Israel. And Jesus is specifically sharing it with these Jewish leaders, these chief priests, because he's talking about them. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Mark 15, 11 through 15 confirms this when it says, But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? Well, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The reason Jesus is sharing this parable with them is because the beginning of this parable is about them. These are the same people who will reject Jesus. The same people who were supposed to be the ones you would have expected to be at the wedding feast. But these, people's re these people rejected the invitation. And y'all, this is so important because based off of scripture, we know this. God promises eternity. Eternity with him or eternity without him. God promises the kingdom of heaven or the reality of hell. The promise of eternal life or the promise of eternal punishment. The promise of joy or the promise of judgment. And this is huge. Because their decision to reject the invitation to the wedding feast is going to have costly consequences. It will directly impact their future. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? That verse is a promise to those who place their faith in Jesus that they will have eternal life. But... That verse is also saying that those who don't believe in Jesus will perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Meaning, for those who don't believe in Jesus will perish. John 3.16 is great news and a great promise for those who believe. But for the ones who reject Jesus... For the ones who get the invitation to the wedding feast and throw it in the trash, John 3.16 is saying, danger. To perish is in your future. And it's just like 
those in the parable who hear the invitation about this amazing wedding feast, this royal wedding, and yet completely disregard the invite. They go back to their farm and businesses, or in other words, the cares of this world, the things that are more important to them, and ignores the greatest wedding feast of all time. And so Jesus continues with this parable and says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king says, those who rejected the kingdom of heaven are not worthy. So he sends out his servants to invite anyone on the streets who will come. Anyone whom they can find, good or bad, doesn't matter. Bring as many that will accept the invitation. And I love that because this is a promise to us. For everyone in the room listening, Jesus says anyone on the streets can come. Anybody. We just read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? This is an open invitation. Anyone is invited. Which is huge. Right? Because... The king didn't huddle up his servants and say, okay, come here. Hey, 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 before you go out into the streets, make sure, but before you tell them about the wedding feast and you give them the invite, make sure they look presentable. Make sure that you have a conversation with them first and they, to make sure they sound smart. Right? You can tell they're, they're well-educated. Hey, hey, make sure that before you invite them, they look a certain way, that they're attractive. They're, they're strong, or you can tell maybe they're well off. But make sure they meet a certain criteria. And then, okay, and then you can invite them. He doesn't say that. He says, as many as you can find, that was it. There was no preconditions, no prequalifications to attend this royal wedding feast. In fact, the parable says the servant gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Everlast, Jesus is saying here, the invitation into the kingdom of heaven isn't predicated on your past, your present mistakes, what you did last night, how ethical or how much good you've done. The kingdom of heaven, the wedding feast is open to anyone who will accept the invitation and come. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. If you want salvation, here's the invitation. It's a free gift. The feast has been prepared, and it's ready for you to come and sit at the table and dine with Jesus. That this is a promise that the doors of the kingdom of heaven are wide open. You just have to walk through them. Meaning, you have a choice to truly accept the invitation or not. Now, some of you in the room have already accepted this invitation, right? Your, your salvation is secured in Christ. And then there are some of you who may be thinking, man, that, the invitation sounds awesome. To, to attend the royal feast sounds cool. But, but, Tina, what about the end of the parable, 
What about the guy who heard about the wedding feast, showed up, got kicked out because he wasn't in the right attire? Am I going to get kicked out? How do I know if I come to the wedding feast that I am dressed in the right clothes? How can I be promised to attend the wedding feast, to, to be promised the kingdom of heaven? Starting in verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In, a place there, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Right, that's a pretty intense ending. Well, why would you give out an invitation just to kick someone out? Well, what's really going on here? Well, based off of what we know, the man who got kicked out was clearly invited. The only way for him to have shown up was for him to have heard about the wedding feast in the first place. But what the end of the parable is saying is just because the invitation was given, just because the man had heard about the kingdom of heaven, doesn't mean he will partake in the wedding feast. Or in other words, doesn't mean that he was actually saved. Based off the word of God, says the only way to enter into the kingdom of heaven is for one to be saved. How are we saved? Romans 10, 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Great promise. We are all sinner, sinners in need of God's grace. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which is why Jesus came to save us. To save us from our sin and the penalty of our sin. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserve, took on the wrath of God, rose three days later, conquering sin and death. Listen to this. So that we may be clothed in his righteousness. So that we may be clothed in the right attire. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the man who came and heard about the gospel, who had heard about the kingdom of heaven, who was given the invitation of salvation to partake in this wedding feast, was still wearing his old clothes. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Listen to this. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This man who showed up was still in his old clothes. He wasn't wearing or had put on the garment of righteousness that was offered to him by the king. He showed up in his same raggedy clothes. Verse 12 in this parable, he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Meaning you're still in the same clothes. Which means his life hadn't been transformed by Jesus. 
this man had a, had a, had a heart transformation, transformation, right? He was still in his old clothes, in his old ways, living the same old life, even after hearing about the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, 3 says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There is a conversion, a heart change that has taken place in the people of God. And that is what is taking place at the end of this parable. The king, God the Father, saw this man not wearing a wedding garment, not clothed in righteousness, having no heart transformation. Which is why Jesus tells the Jewish, Jewish leaders in the previous chapter, before this parable, he says in Matthew 21, 43, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. When our hearts are changed, when we know the grace of God, when we have a relationship with Jesus and not just know information about him, we produce fruit. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5 is saying that fruit that is producing is producing because of Christ producing that fruit in us. That there is a relationship there. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 talks about this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And everlasting, God knows and sees our hearts. God knows if you have truly repented and if you are truly his. And there is a big difference in knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. A few years ago, Kevin and I um, had just a really awesome opportunity to go to a part of Africa called Lesotho to share Jesus. And I love sharing this story because it was just so good. We show up, and first off, the land was beautiful. It was stunning. The sunsets there are like sunsets I've never seen before. Uh, they're like purple and pink with like an orangey-yellow tint that was slightly mixed in with a bunch of other colors. And then you get to the people, and they were amazing, right? They were full of so much joy. Uh, their smiles are like from ear to ear. Yes. I mean, y'all, they lived day to day not knowing where they would get their next meal, not knowing if it was going to rain that, that day so they could have clean and fresh water to drink. All the while, they were excited for us to be there. I mean, they were singing and dancing and playing as if the struggles and the reality around them did not exist. I mean, it truly was amazing. Lesotho is one of the most amazing places I have ever been to. Now, if I asked everyone in the room to raise your hand if you know about Lesotho, Africa, all of you would be able to do that. Why? Because I just told you about Lesotho, Africa. You, you have that information now to tell others about Lesotho, Africa. But listen, it's one thing to know about Africa, and it's another thing to have gone there and to have experienced it yourself. And it is the same with Jesus. It is one thing to know about him, and it's a whole other thing to experience the love of Jesus. To, to experience the heart transformation that takes place for those who have surrendered their lives over to him. 
It's one thing to know about him. It's a completely different thing to have tasted and have seen and experienced his goodness. And it's the same with this parable. The man knew about the kingdom of heaven. He was told about the wedding feast. He was even invited. But he showed up without personally knowing the bridegroom. Knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him changes us. It causes us to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. That when people see you and how you live your life, it would make sense that you were a believer. That that when people notice how you live your life, they would not be shocked to find out that you're a Christian. Your attire, clothed in righteousness, meaning the way you live, should show and reflect Jesus, one who knows him and loves him. Don't be the wedding crasher, the one who shows up not knowing the bridegroom. You see, the wedding feast is an open invitation, but there's a dress code. Everyone is welcome at the table, but Jesus changes us. And what is taking place here is a foreshadowing of what is happening in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, when Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And the reality is, is that the king didn't just send the man home. He didn't just kindly ask him to gather his things and leave because he was in the wrong attire. It says he was bound, casted into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is an extreme consequence for not wearing the right attire, for not knowing Jesus, and that's the reality. The reality is that there is a great promise for those who believe. Acts 2, 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, promise. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, promise. Romans 10:11 for scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame promise. Right this is great news for those who've placed their faith in Jesus. But the other reality is that for those not wearing the right attire for those who don't know Jesus personally as their lord and savior the heartbreaking and, devis- and devastating reality for them is hell. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Promise. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many many enter through it. Promise. But small is the gate and narrow to the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's a promise. Matthew 18, 3, again, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
promise. And that's the reality. There is a promise of the kingdom of heaven to those who know him, and there is a promise and tragic reality of hell for those who don't. And this parable should cause us to examine our own hearts. Pastor and author James Boyce says it best when he says, Some sections of the Bible give us grand theology. Some move us to grateful responses to God. The parables ask us if there has been any real difference in our lives. And this parable does just that. It should cause us to ask the question, which parable, which, which part of the parable am I? Am I the one who is completely rejecting Jesus, wanting nothing to do with him? Or am I the one who is showing up to the wedding, but still in my old clothes? There's been no heart transformation that's taken place in my life because I haven't actually put on the robe of righteousness, righteousness, which, by the way, is freely given to those who surrender their lives to him. Or am I the one God invited off the streets who was lost, broken, consumed, and indulging in sin with no hope, but because of God's grace and mercy, I heard and understood the good news of the gospel and accepted the invitation and surrendered my life over to the Lord. Hope has been found. A heart transformation has happened. And there has been a wardrobe change. And I am proudly in the wedding hall in my good, good, new good-looking wedding clothes, enjoying and savoring Jesus. You see, this parable isn't just a warning to the Jewish leaders of that time. This parable is a call and invitation that if you want to be at the royal wedding and partaking in the wedding feast, you're invited. Romans 10.13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise. It's a promise of eternity with Christ, a promise that secures your seat at the table of the wedding feast. It's a promise to you for the kingdom of heaven. The promise to partake in the wedding feast is promised to those who've placed their faith in Jesus. And when you leave here tonight, you need to know that the promise of entering the kingdom of heaven, the, the promise of Jesus, the promise of salvation is offered to anyone who will accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You need to know that if you are a believer in the room, you are promised the wedding feast. You can walk out of the doors here tonight confident, knowing you get to attend the royal wedding. Because Everlast, the royal wedding is happening. The feast has been prepared. The invite is there. And the question is, have you truly accepted the invitation? Are you wearing the right attire? Let's pray.